52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the Health Ability Project. Hi, welcome to the Health Ability Project. I'm Robin McKenna. In episodes 23 and 25, my guests shared their stories about being medically misdiagnosed and how they got through things once they had been correctly diagnosed. There's also another angle about being misdiagnosed, and that is learning you've been misdiagnosed, but also learning that it is too late. What is that health and wellness story? What's also unique about today's episode is that it is being told by the daughter of the person who was misdiagnosed. My guest today is Marilee Buchanan. She's going to share her mother's story, which is about, of all things, forgiveness. Marilee is the founder and CEO of Villa Leadership Group, a small practice focused on building cultures of inclusive leadership and helping professional women increase their influence in the world. Her vision is a world where we live and work with more balance, sanity, and civility, and find ways to leverage our strengths and connections to build better workplaces and communities for the future. Her work has taken her to many places around the world, engaging with individuals and companies from a wide variety of industries and cultures. She calls herself a consultant, facilitator, coach, therapist, storyteller, and on some days, a happy sloth. Thanks so much for joining me today, Marilee. I am so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Robin. I am so happy to be here, too. It's uh, I love your podcast. I love listening to the stories of, of everyone from so many different angles. So I, I feel honored to be here and oh, uh, talk you. to you today. You know, and that's the thing I tell people, there is so much that affects our overall health and well-being. We don't really even think about it. And so I'm really hoping that this podcast brings those things to light and makes people think. And some of the stories are are really unique and a little bit out there, but um, I love every one of them. And I think every one of them has a message and hopefully people are picking up on that. So thanks very much. And I think I have touched on many different things. I've had a couple of guests on who have shared their cancer stories and a couple of episodes that I mentioned earlier about being misdiagnosed. But one thing we really haven't discussed so far, and I think we're now at episode 34, is forgiveness. And that's a very, very critical component to one's overall health and wellness. Because if we all know that, you know, when if you don't forgive or if you're carrying something it's it's just not a healthy thing right 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 it uh it is not healthy for you or anyone else yeah mm-hmm. so tell us tell us how you came to learn the story about your mom and her search for forgiveness or contemplating forgiveness for the doctor that had misdiagnosed her and and what you remember i guess as as a young adult uh, her journey and, and how how she may have shared in her journals, how it affected her, 
how the whole experience affected you. And even all these years later is the reflection of that must, must, uh, must have some impact on health and wellness in, in, for you as well. Yes. It, it's quite a story, Robin, a story that it feels like I knew it a long time ago, but it didn't hold with me until you and I were talking about your other episodes. And since that time, I have found a lot more information. So I will, I'll start with my father died in December of 2018. And as when your parents uh, pass away, you have all of their things, all of their papers. And my, my dad had kept uh, some of my mother's papers, not all, I wish there were a few more that I read about. And so as these things were distributed among the family members, I I happened to get my mother's journal that she actually started when she was about two years into her cancer. So it was a, a, a backward look, but it was, it was important because she was already in it and she was dealing with that. So let me kind of take you back in time for a minute. So it is, March of 1973. So this is a long time ago. And if you think about, you know, what healthcare and what we knew about cancer then was a lot less than we know now. Mm-hmm. So my mother had been apparently trying to lose some weight. She'd had six children and many of them were close together, like 18 or 17 months apart. I was jammed in. I was the fifth of six. And so she decided to go to Weight Watchers and she went to Weight Watchers and she was on a steady uh, weight loss. And in in March of 73, she started to notice some changes in her in her right breast. It was sagging. It looked like it was inflamed. Hmm. So knowing what she did, you know, about about early detection, she quickly went to her doctor and she went to her doctor, and I will tell you, this is not his real name. I've renamed him Dr. Goodfellow. Okay. And Thank you. So she, she went in, and they actually ended up doing a biopsy. He sent her to the hospital, and they mm-hmm. did a biopsy. The biopsy came back and said, oh, nothing to worry about. Hmm. And so a few months later, she she kept going back, and she went to another doctor at the same clinic, Dr. Jackson. And every time she went in, they said, it's nothing not to worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. So over all these months, and she'd gone back and she'd gone back. So she went back again in January of 74. So almost a year had gone by. Right. And Dr. Jackson said, I believe this is dermatitis. So what my mother had was called, it's called inflammatory breast cancer. And inflammatory is different. It's only accounts for like between one and 5% of breast cancers, but it's a very aggressive form of cancer. Mm -hmm. What it does is it blocks the lymph nodes that help the breast drain. And women will get an inflammation that often looks like a rash or a very hot sensation in their breast. And it can be misdiagnosed as mastitis or dermatitis. So following that, she took my sister to the dermatologist in August, a few months later. 
So all these months have gone by and the dermatologist said, no, this is not dermatitis. This is breast cancer. So right away, they they had her in and they did exploratory surgery and did a, a radical mastectomy. And then they discovered the cancer was also in her lymph nodes. And then she went straight into chemotherapy and radiation. How old was your mother at the time? Uh, she would have been uh, 47. Okay. How old were you at the time? I was 15. Okay. So you remember your mother not feeling well or wondering yes. what the heck this is and yes, maybe, maybe being concerned about all of the, it not going away. Concerned, but not, not really aware. My parents were quite closed about the whole thing. We knew my mother was ill. We knew she had cancer. We knew she was getting treatments, but they always put on like this very optimistic face. Mm-hmm. She was very upbeat as much as she could be. The chemotherapy would make her very sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would have to stay in bed quite a lot. But I was a teenager and teenagers, you run your own lives. The only thing that I shouldn't say the only thing, you know, one thing was that I had to look after my little brother. He was nine at the time. And I also, when I got my driver's license, when I was 16, my dad asked me not to to get a job that summer so I could drive my mother to her treatments. I'm sure that must've been just horrifying for her to have to, her, you know, brand new driver drive her when she was feeling so sick. sick. (laughs) So it's been hard on your dad too, to have to ask you to do that. Oh, I think so. I think so. There were, let's see, four of us left at home. My older siblings had, had, um, you know, gotten married, moved out. And, and so we took care of each other, but that's the culture that we grew up in. Um, a very, very kind of looking after other people mm-hmm. type of culture. So it wasn't really anything that was drastically different. That was kind of just the way we were. So one thing I will step back and tell you that I had forgotten this, but my dad wrote these family history books, for lack of a better word. They're done on an old computer in WordPerfect. Do you remember WordPerfect? Barely. (laughs) That's why I don't like computers to this day. (laughs) And so he he wrote my mother's story in 1996. Where he took from her calendars, her journals, and his memory. He has quite a good memory. And so he had detailed all of her life, as well as her illness and how she was through it. So anyway, after my father died, I, I came into having my mother's journal. And then I really read her story. And that's where the feelings came from. All right. The feelings of, wow, this was something. So Knowing that she had gone back and forth and back and forth to these different doctors uh, in May of 1976. So she died in August of 76, but that was when she started looking back. And I'm going to actually read to you what she wrote about that time, if you're okay with that. Sure, that would be great. She said, I knew that early detection was the only hope for a cure in breast cancer. The weight of this was so heavy on my shoulders. I knew I would have to dig deep in my soul 
to forgive Dr. Goodfellow and Dr. Jackson. The daily struggle with that realization was almost as hard as knowing I had that dreadful disease, cancer. And then she goes on to talk about how how hard it was for her to, she'd always been the person who would look after other people. And she had looked after my grandfather for many years. He lived with us and she was the youngest of her siblings. And so she was always taking care, whether it was her mother-in-law or her father. And my grandfather died in July of 1974. So it was a month later that now she is here struggling for her life, Mm. having a very difficult time kind of reconciling this. Do you remember if your mother seemed angry or upset or, I mean, clearly you said that they were very hush-hush about it, but did you Mm -hmm. ever notice her behavior? I remember feeling like she was scared. And there was a, a piece in there that I also hadn't put together. So this must have been in 1975. My uncle uh, was kind of following her health concerns. And he said he'd heard about this doctor in Greece who was curing cancer. Hmm. And thought, you know, when they kind of checked it out, had heard these really good things that he was doing. You can look it up now. (laughs) It's in all of the disproven cancer treatments. But this doctor was a microbiologist. His name was Dr. Alivizatos. My dad couldn't even remember in his journal what the doctor's name was, but I just Googled Greek cancer cure. So apparently he would take these blood tests and he could see from the blood test how much cancer you had. And he would give these daily injections of this secret serum. He was shut down by the Greek Medical Association a couple of times, but he would always get his license back and start working again. So my uncle uh, sponsored my mom to go out there. She went out for about six weeks in July, August of 1975. And she had these treatments and she was amazingly better when she came home. She was like a different person for two weeks. All right. And she had been there with a number of other people. And what I remember is watching her clip the obituaries out of the paper of the other people who were there. And I remember her being very scared. And because, you know, they were desperate for some kind of cure. So when she wrote this about, you know, having to dig deep for forgiveness, that included all of that. So apparently there was a guy who, uh, a doctor who posed as a cancer patient. This was in 1979 because he wanted to find out what this serum was. And and he was able to obtain a sample of it, brought it back and had it analyzed. He was from the University of Washington. And it was essentially niacin and water. Okay. And so the niacin would, because they were giving high doses of it, which is a B vitamin, would cause this kind of burning and skin flush. Mm. And it would make the people who were receiving it, you know, feel like it was burning away the cancer. Mm. 
And so I don't know if what she experienced was a placebo effect, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, part of me has to say that disappointment, uh, because within two weeks after she got back, she could start to feel new cancers and they discovered that it was in her bones and in her back and in her spine. And, and she was afraid to start chemotherapy because she felt like starting chemotherapy again would just ravage what, what maybe she had left. Mm -hmm. But She decided to go ahead with it and it bought her probably another six, you know, maybe even close to a year. Um, to keep was doing she, that. Was she well enough during that time or was she mostly like, what was her quality of life? Like it was mixed. There were times when she was um, up and around, you know, she said in her journal, it's my goal to stay on the, my feet as long as I can. So I can take care of my family. Right. And, but there were times when she would have a really rough time mm. and, um, and she would have to stay in bed so, you know, when we talk about this forgiveness, and I've asked my siblings about what they remember. They were they were older. And so my mom, before she died, in the weeks before she died, she wrote each of us a letter, all right, about how much she loved us. And, and she wrote a family letter, all right? And I don't know who has the family letter. I don't know where it is. I recollect that on that, that she said, I've come to terms with, you know, that I will triumph, you know, with this, whatever that looks like, huh. right? So it wasn't she was saying, I'm going to get well. I think she was saying, you know, she often referred to the battle with cancer, but I think her battle was with her own feelings and her own spirituality, her own mortality. And, but she really came to peace with that. You know, she knew she was going, she was always a planner. She wrote her own obituary, planned her own funeral. Wow. Wow. You know, kind of took care of things. Wow. It seems like her coming to, to peace with it, she came to peace with knowing that the outcome wasn't going to be defined by her. Mm -hmm. She was okay with that. Yes. And and that's probably, that is what gave her peace. I believe so. I mean, I grew up in a very religious family. The family is, you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so there, it's a very spiritual focus where everything is in God's hands, right? Many religions kind of, you know, come from that same place. So for her, I, I believe that's that was a, a great comfort to her and kind of always felt like, well, there's work on the other side that I must do. And so I'm being called home. And, you know, as a kid, that that seems like a good answer, right? Right. But I, I do remember in that summer when I had the realization, I was sitting in my in the car with my boyfriend at the time. And I said, my mom's going to die. And he said, no, she's not. And I said, yeah, she is. And she was in the hospital at that time. And I said, she's not getting better. And he said, how, how can you give up hope? And I, I just said, it's not about hope. 
Mm. It, it's about not having control. Right. G- giving up that sense of thinking you have control and, and wow, <laughs> it's very insightful for a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I was very insightful at that time of my life. <laughs> so I was thinking about this forgiveness thing, Robin, and I was thinking that Forgiveness seems easier for some people than it does for others. Yes. Yes. And, you know, when you you see families who've had tragedy or tragedy by at the hands of another person. All right. And there's a very deep sense of injustice. Mm. Some families or some people seem very quick to forgive. And some feel like, you know, it seems like some can never really let it go. And then it does destroy us. Mm. And I, I, I can't say that I know what the difference is, but my husband and I have talked about this sometimes because uh, we're both, you know, we both have a therapist background and we're both fascinated by our wiring. Mm -hmm. And So there's a place in the brain, you probably know this, the hippocampus, that stores our long-term memories, and they're solid, especially when they're emotional memories. That's Mm -hmm. why we can remember things that happened, you know, years ago, or if we have dementia, we might be able to remember those things, but the working part of the brain up front isn't, isn't working. And he and I are very different. You know, he can remember somebody who insulted him in the second grade. (laughs) And I I don't like something in my brain doesn't hold on to things Mm. very long. Mm. And I, I don't know what really what the difference is Is different in our wiring because I don't think I work hard at it. Mm. Um, And so I have wondered, you know, if my mother was like that, if she was more forgiving in general as a person, um, she was very open, loving, accepting. She was the kind of person that people sought to talk to mm. because she was supportive and non-judgmental. As far as I knew, I mean, sometimes I felt judged for wearing certain things as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there on that one. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't don't know. I mean, I I think it's a question for maybe neuroscientists to understand. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think also, too, is that what your mother probably imparted to you was was really how she led by example and and the role model that she was that conditioned you to have a you know, in hindsight, healthier mindset towards forgiving or not dwelling on things too long or keeping grudges, that sort of thing, because your mother didn't do it. You know, maybe it's a combination of DNA and the examples that are set, right? The the lessons that you're taught um, Mm -hmm. unofficially or informally. It could be that, very much so. But it's, You know, when I was reading over all of this again, it affected me very, very deeply, but not in a way of like, I needed to forgive. Mm. I actually did this. I looked up these two doctors and 
And they both passed away in one passed away in 2018 and the other in 2014. Wow. So they, they were contemporaries mm. with her and with my dad. Yeah. And I think they were, you know, they were friendly with each other. And so it must have been difficult, um, especially because they were like personal friends. And, and so that must have been really rough. Yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe your father, you know, decided, you know, what's, what's, where, what's the value in disassociating with these people versus, you know, whether or not they diagnosed it correctly, she still had cancer, right? At that time in, in life, you know, cancer was not very beatable. It was today. Right. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's not to say if it wasn't detected early that, that she couldn't have been, had, had a more extended life, but, you know, I, I, you know, maybe your father just chose to, you know, hang on to friendship and, and positivity. Maybe, maybe. And, uh, it's, you know, it's it's hard to know. You know, my dad's not here to ask, and and um, I have to depend on his writing. But here's the thing: she was was treated. So the doctor that did her mastectomy was the first doctor she'd gone to. All right, that had done the biopsy, wow. and and so she must have reached some level of forgiveness to to go back and then put her trust in him again Um, i couldn't find much about dr jackson about what his role played but he was at the clinic for pretty much his career and so yeah it's it's it is hard to know do you know why your mother began to journal two years into her journey i think that you know how she planned her funeral and wrote her own obituary. Mm-hmm. I think for her that, you know, having some kind of a legacy or having, having an understanding so that we, we knew what she'd gone through. Uh, she kept a little week at a time planner that she kept all of her notes in. My dad refers to it in his writing, but he also said when she was in Greece that she wrote home every day. Oh, wow. He said, somewhere in our moves, those letters were misplaced. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had those letters. Um, That's a shame. Maybe they'll turn up somewhere. Maybe. Maybe somewhere. How was it for you just reading, just even seeing your mother's handwriting and, and, and reading through, you know, knowing what we know now and the way life is now versus what it was in the mid 70s? Mm-hmm. It must have been jarring, yeah. sentimental. Definitely all of those. And and you're right, just looking at her handwriting, it it's so recognizable mm-hmm. and to see it. And you can see, you know, her decline as she writes, you know, it gets more scribbly and more uh more difficult. And she's really trying to stay, stay in the game. But it it, it makes me have much more understanding of what she was going through. You know, as I said, my, they were kind of closed and not, it was to be protective. 
of us, I believe. But my dad writes that they were closer in those last two years than any time in their life together. He remarried uh, less than a year later because my mother said, I want you to wait a year before you remarry because you're one of the kind of men who needs somebody to take care of you. <laughs> so <laughs> he did. And I, I had this lovely stepmother for many, many years. Wow. And, um, you know, I think things work. They work out most of the time, not all the time, but they were close. And the only times that I really, I remember one time where my, I was kind of having some difficulty keeping my curfews. <laughs> Imagine that. that. That kind of teenager where I'd stay out later than I was supposed to. And I remember one time standing and she was in her bed and I was standing there leaning against her dresser. And she said, she said, Marilee, I have never wanted my illness to get in the way of your life. And she said, but you're really testing me. And <laughs> <laughs> and she said, the stress of worrying about where you are when you're not home is really hard. So she wasn't horrible. She wasn't mean or anything. But I remember standing there just crying because I was causing her so much pain. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when you think about it in retrospect, I'm like, she should have really like <laughs> given it to me. Laid into you or had your father lay into you. But <laughs> somebody. Wow. But it sounds like your mom was a gentle soul and that her way her way was was soft and loving and not mm -hmm. you know like a more traditional it, it was soft and loving but she was a really strong woman and she was she was assertive she was kind she was never you know to be walked over by other people mm -hmm. I learned this too she often would step in and work in my dad's businesses because he was a serial entrepreneur. Ah. <laughs> she would come in and take up the bookkeeping and, you know, manage the books because right. she was very good at that. Uh -huh. I read this paragraph in his writing and he said, Carolyn wasn't a, um, she wasn't really a feminist, though the feminism was really rising at the time. Mm -hmm. but she was very concerned about the inequality of men and women in the workplace. And I had never heard that before. I had not known that. Wow. And it's really funny because the kind of work that I do now is really all about all that. About that, right, right. Yeah. What a joyful thing to learn and, and just you know, the experience of going through your parents' journals and notes and things that as, as bittersweet as it is, it's also joyful because you've picked up these insights you just didn't have before. And, or maybe some things you knew and now as, as a, as an adult versus a younger person, you, it's different perspective, right? Right. And, you know, my mother died when she was 49. Wow. And I know that each of my siblings, you know, passing that 49-year-old mark has uh, has been one of those things that, you, you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, right. you know, and I'm well past that now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, uh, I feel not safe, but it is, it's interesting because none of my siblings have had 
any breast cancer, uh, nor I, but we're always very careful and, um, you know, check for that. So, but it is a, it's a story and, you know, it's a part of me. It's a part of my family life. I get the sense that your mother really did opt for forgiveness, even though she said she really had to dig deep because it was that forgiveness that gave her, she wanted to be, it sounds like she wanted to be present more so than she wanted to dwell on the fact that maybe she was being cheated by this misdiagnosis and she had a choice and and that's what she chose. And, you know, it was a more healthy end of the journey than someone who may have clung to, you know, negative or um, anger. I think so. I think that it was a, an emotional roller coaster for her, mm-hmm. but I believe the negative parts of that she kept private. She wrote in one part of her journal that she said that the neighbors and the friends aren't really coming around. This is while she was sick. Mm-hmm. And she said, I believe they're uncomfortable with, you know, whether they, whether they should talk about my illness or not. Mm. And she said, so when they come, I start talking about it because I want them to feel at ease. So you can see that this is the kind of person that she was where she wouldn't judge them for not really coming, but understand that they were coming because they didn't know what to say. Right. Right. Very thoughtful, like thinking of others, you know, in the incredible situation that she's in, really thinking about the comfort of of others. Yes. Wow. What a story. My goodness. What a what a beautiful story as as hard as the circumstances were. Thank you so much for sharing this story. This is this is amazing. Well, Robin, I think I I am thanking you because had you not asked me about this and had I not sort of mentioned it in passing, I wouldn't have felt like, well, I should really figure out what happened. And so I was able to find my dad's book. He wrote a whole bunch of these books, all right? Uh, and they all had a different focus. They're you know, less than 100 pages in his typewritten, unedited hand. <laughs> and then he would, you know, publish them on a, on a publish. We, 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 I'm sure he did them on some kind of a copy machine um, and then have them bound at Kinko's wow. and give, give them to us for our Christmas presents. Oh, so they, they really are truly a gift, um, you know, that he, he wrote down all these parts of his, oh. his, history. One of them is about his, all the many different careers and jobs he had. And one of them was about his life growing up and uh, about raising kids. And so there's lots of different topics. Wow. Well, good. I'm glad you have that. That's, that's really very precious. Yeah, it is. So thank you. Thank you for um, putting me back in the space to remember and and get connected to it. Good. Good. Listeners, hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. If you have, please share, like us, tell your friends about us, post on social media. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. 
Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to the healthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please, like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.